Happy holidays. Happy holidays. I'm sick. My daughter coughed into my mouth last night, and I got sick immediately. No grace period. It was just like, boom! Now you gotta go to Kaiser and get a strep throat swab, and then we'll see how that comes back tomorrow. But uh, episode 76, this is gonna sound a little different. Actually, let's be honest. Most people sound cooler when they're sick, so I had to do this podcast, right? I'm not gonna complain and be like, oh, you know, this one's just for you. This one I had to really rush into for my fans. Now, this is like, let's record this voice because this might be gone tomorrow. And the nurse took that long Q-tip and said, open up, you might gag. Put it to the back of my throat. I gagged. Barfed all over her. Just kidding, that part of the story is not true. But I did have that gag reflex. And now, I'm wondering what I'm hoping. Do I want strep? Because then they give you antibiotics. I know nobody wants strep, but if it's not strep, it's the old weighted out. If it's strep, they give me pills and the pills work. And if it's not strep, I go to CVS and I get airborne, doesn't work. Dayquil, doesn't work. Nyquil, doesn't work. Green tea, doesn't work. Da-da-da-da-da-da, nothing works. It's true. Just get some rest and liquids. We all hate hearing that. Because that means, oh, it's going to take some time. We like to press fast forward on our ailments. Come on. Two days until winter break. Come on. The shittiest time to get sick right now. But no more complaining. No more complaining. Just a little backstory as to why I sound this way. And if we could be brutally honest for a moment, there's 1% of all of us. 1%. That kind of likes some aspects of being sick. 1%. 99% of us, we don't like it. We want optimal health. But that 1% allows us to be so lazy on the couch. You know what I did for lunch today? I drove to a local Chinese restaurant and I sat in there alone and ate a family-sized wonton soup to myself. Not one drop left behind. There were other tables watching me. Who is this hobo off the streets? Has he ever had wonton soup? He's eating it like he's never had wonton soup. Yeah, I've had it, folks. I've had it quite a few times. And it's tasting real good. I got the scruffy beard right now. I was wearing an old Dickies jacket that I've had for about, I don't know, 20 years. It was a borderline will-they-even-serve-me situation. I just came in, looked at the guy at the hostess stand... Or host stand if it's a guy. That's a question. Hostess if it's a girl. Host if it's a guy. I don't know. But I immediately just said, large wonton, please. They got it out to me in six minutes, scarfed it. So, being sick gives you opportunities to do things like that. Lay on the couch. Drink a bunch of tea. Live in a blanket. Avoid all social interactions. Ooh, I'd love to, but I can't. Oh, I'd love to come over, but I can't. Yay! I can't. All right, let's get into this. Episode 76, it's going to be a terrible one, but we got to talk about artificial intelligence. How dumb are we? I was talking about this with my students, AI. We were talking about advancements in industry and science. And of course, this is the next big thing. Are we in it? Are we five years away from it? 10 years away? 50 years away? 100 years away? When the bots will take over? Because they're coming. You know this, right? We have created a force 
that will ultimately be stronger than us. We did that. Now, what is AI? Let me just define it for you, because this will be a lengthy rant. And if you don't totally know what it is, I'll just explain it as briefly as I can. Talk to me like an eight-year-old. It's when you create these programs, these computer programs, that start to think and learn on their own. Without any human commands, without me doing anything, there's going to be computerized programs that develop the ability to think and problem solve on their own. I'm not pressing any buttons. We're just watching the machines develop and mature and progress. And they're going to be smarter than us and stronger than us. We did this. We created it. And I don't just mean Siri and Alexa. I don't just mean all the little things you've heard already. But if you actually think about that HBO show Westworld, think about it for a moment. Even if you haven't seen it, it's a show about how eventually the robots will look like us. You won't be able to tell them from the humans. And they will threaten our very survival. Because they'll identify us as the problem. And aren't we? Think of pure planet Earth. What's wrong with it? The impact of humans. I've talked about that plenty of times. The amount of things we've done to this planet to ruin it. From creating bombs and weapons to pollution. The global warming. Yeah, we messed it all up. So if we build new intelligence that is supposed to be the great problem-solving intelligence, they'll immediately look at humans and say, yeah, we should probably eliminate those homo sapiens. They've kind of fucked it all up. And now let's start from scratch. So, I don't know. You could look at this two ways. Number one, it really seems ridiculous that we even started to tiptoe into this area. This forbidden, fragile area of creating a form of intelligence that's beyond us. I always thought it'd be nice if we were still on top. On top of the old food chain. That our intelligence will separate us from all the other animals. But no, we're going to dip to second place. Because if a computer program can think and learn on its own, why keep us around? We're so flawed, we're always going to be at war. We're always going to be oppressing a group. We're always going to be building the next weapon. We're always going to be creating the next force to stress us out. This is the path we're on. We are. So maybe creating this new force called AI that will eventually eliminate us entirely is the smartest thing we could do. It's like tapping out and saying, I'm my own worst enemy. It's really the most ultimate form of saying, you know something? Yeah, we're not getting it done. We're just not good. We're not a good match for this earth. Too many mistakes. So let's make some mistake-free bots that'll improve the world of education. That'll improve the world of science. That'll improve the world of travel. That'll improve the world of healthcare and medicine. Now read any article. Just Google immediate impacts of AI and you'll start to realize, oh, these are all good things. They look pretty efficient. Look pretty positive. And most of them will be very, very possible without us buttoning. So we have to create the initial software. I say we like I'm on the team. So I have to go into work tomorrow and start to create the software programs. But then AI just blossoms. And like a little kid, we watch it grow up, toddler, adolescence, teens. And then adult AI, 40 years from now, 50 years from now, crushes us. We're gone. And the world will look a lot different. I don't even think this is sci-fi anymore. Is it? If everything I said sounds sci-fi, then that just means sci-fi is properly predicting the future. Don't just picture robots. That's the point. Don't just picture robots. Picture everything we do, everything we do, picture it. And now picture how many mistakes we do when we do it. How many mistakes do we make every day? 
everybody at their jobs throughout the day making mistakes from the highest power, presidential, our senators, our representatives, our politicians, our lawyers are making mistakes, our teachers are making mistakes, our doctors are making mistakes, our scientists are making mistakes. So we're smart enough to identify that. And the quick fix is, yeah, uh, no more of us. There it is, folks. How dumb are we? Create a force that ultimately replaces us. This is the eternal question. Is it smart or is it so ridiculously dumb to create more and more and more artificial intelligence? I don't know. But when you have this discussion with 170, 15, 16-year-olds throughout the day, you start to mention some weird things about where we're going as a civilization. Where are we going as a human race? Right into the toilet flushed away. Speaking of toilets, this is a little off topic, but I recently bought a cleaning spray that smelled worse than a dirty toilet. You used to think a dirty toilet was the worst smell, right? Just the combination of things that go into a toilet and then the debris that builds up. And of course you have to clean it. Then you have to clean your toilet, but I'm going to out this company. Open nature, disinfectant spray, lemongrass scent. If you see this on the shelf, don't buy it, don't buy it, but just open it up and smell it and then get a rag to clean up the barf at your feet because you'll throw up. It's the worst and I did buy it and I am using it and I go into the bathroom and it smells worse than a dirty toilet, than all the many substances that make a toilet dirty. I clean, I spray this open nature, disinfectant, lemongrass scented, horse shit all over the place and it's like i just ruined the room it's worse than anything you could produce from your body so avoid that that's the opposite of an endorsement folks maybe that'll be the point of the show think about every podcast or radio show you listen to where periodically they just stop and say are you looking for the best mattress right now sleep train has a deal 20 percent off throughout the holidays tell them josh sent you are you looking for the best roast beef sandwich? Arby's is back with the five for five deal. Just tell them Josh sent you. If you ever walk into an Arby's and tell them Josh sent you, that won't get you much. But I'm doing the opposite of endorsements. I'll periodically just stop and tell you products that don't work for me. Are you looking to create the worst smell you've ever created in your home? Beyond what your body can produce, go for open nature. Open nature, lemongrass. What is lemongrass? Is it a mixture of barf, diarrhea, bad breath, and piss? If so, then they have perfected it. Lemongrass, now captured in a disinfectant spray. Guess what I did last Sunday? You're right. If you guessed I went to the final Raiders home game ever in Oakland, then you're correct. I went. I wasn't planning to go, but a couple of my buddies who I used to work with in radio, real Raiders fans, they were flying up. And it's only 40 minutes away from me. For them, flying up from San Diego and flying back in the same night, that's a true commitment to your team. I mean, you want to show your true colors as a fan? You fly to a game, you don't even sleep over, and you fly back to your city the same day? I've never done anything like that. So for me, it was easy. Just drove out to Oakland, California, tropical Oakland in December. And I exit Hegenberger. And you can just see the cloud above the stadium of barbecue smoke, Weed smoke, tobacco smoke, just the debris of ashes, human ashes, I'm talking about, angel dust in the air. As you get closer and closer and closer to the parking lot, if you're not all in, 
Like, if you're not the biggest Raiders fan and care so much, which is me, I'm not the biggest Raiders fan, I didn't care so much, then the ugliness becomes so evident and the thuggery is so palpable. That's right, I said it, thuggery. Immediately when you exit, you might see a fight, you might see somebody stumbling into the street because they've already had too much to drink before 11 a.m., see a bunch of people just smoking weed on the streets, not judging, not judging, but still, it kind of attracts an element of chaos that's not the most enjoyable way to spend an afternoon. I love the NFL, probably the best TV sport going. But to go to an NFL game, that means not just paying a lot, but it means you're going to wade through a lot of traffic. And it means you're going to wade through long lines for them to rip your ticket, long lines to go to the bathroom, long lines to get a drink, to get some food, long lines even to get to your seat. And by the time you finally get there, who's to say you're in a section of good people? There might be some bad people around you to ruin the experience, which seems to happen to me a lot because, well, let's be honest, I'm ultra sensitive. However, it was a good day, really good day. Mainly because I got to see my buddies, Mike and Jeff. But also, if you're a sports fan, you do want to be around the memorable events that people will be talking about 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. However, my walk from my car to the stadium was not the fun part. That was some Armageddon-type shit. It's the most eclectic array of celebrations I've ever seen. You do see the typical tailgate. I walked through one party, you know, just because... There's no open lanes. There's no aisles to walk. Everybody has filled every aisle with barbecues. And I walk through on, excuse me, pardon me, just alone. Excuse me, pardon me. And this one guy screams at me, Raiders. And I went, yep, that's the team that plays here, the Raiders. And he goes, turkey or ham? Swear to God. I said, "Uh, ham. And he just slices off. He carves off big ham, honey glazed ham, and puts it right into my hand. Like that scene in The Wedding Singer where Adam Sandler gets paid with meatballs. That was me. I just had a giant chunk of ham in my hand and I just ate it right there. I was like within the first three minutes of arriving at the game. Just a big handful of ham and it was really good. Kept walking, saw a mariachi band. It looked like a quinceanera in the parking lot. And people just going nuts. Tequila, whistles, Patron. And then I kept walking. There was another tent that was just heavy metal. Looked like the Hells Angels. It was like, am I in some... Hunter S. Thompson book. It was insane. And then you walk even further, and there's more DJ spinning hip-hop. The Too Short Oakland sound is truly apparent all over. You hear so much Too Short, so much Bay Area rap. It's kind of cool. But you do keep your head on a swivel. It's one of those atmospheres. I guess it's my anxiety, but I'm just like, it wouldn't be surprising if somebody just ran up to me full speed and punched me in the back of the head. It's one of those settings where you're like, I always want to be looking left rotating my head to the right and back left. And I'm thinking the whole time, this team's moving to Vegas. They don't want to attract this fan base anymore. They're saying, stay in Oakland. We're going after the high rollers at the blackjack table. We're not trying to maintain this mystique of rebellious Raiders fans. I guarantee this team, I almost think they would change their logo soon, even though that's not a great marketing move. But you could just tell Mark Davis, the owner, actually the son of the owner who passed away, Al, giving you some Raiders history if you don't know. Mark Davis, who is perhaps the dumbest of all owners in a league with a few dumb owners. This guy's got to be one of the biggest idiots. He's interviewed before the game and he's asked about the nostalgia. What are you going to miss? He said, nothing. No, not going to miss anything. Like no love for the Oakland fans. No love. Couldn't get a stadium built. So he's off to Vegas, which is kind of an interesting story. Building a big stadium. And I think he realizes, all right, this doesn't sell anymore. 
This whole eye patch, sword logo, fist fights in every section. It's not really going to sell to the big corporate sponsors. So I guarantee he's thinking of an image change, which is weird for the Raiders, but it's going to change. So before the game, tickets are going on StubHub, 300, 400, 500 bucks for bad seats. And I arrive at the game without a ticket, but 100 bucks cold cash in my pocket. That's it. I said, I'm tapping out at 100. So my buddy Jeff, he said, just wait it out. Wait it out. We're going to wait until kickoff. Even during the game, we're going to go up to the scalpers and say, this is like simple economics. You know, your ticket's selling. Well, you got to sell them now. And they said 300. Nah, 250 down to 200, down to 150. And then there's about 10 minutes left in the first quarter. You could hear the fireworks. You heard the national anthem. And I'm still on the outskirts of the game thinking, we should probably get in that shit. But perhaps we waited to the perfect moment, about six minutes left in the first quarter. And this one guy who we'd been seeing all over the parking lot is like, all right, I got to go home. Just give me 300 bucks for the two. So Jeff paid more than me, but I give in my 100 bucks. And these are great seats, like row 19, right in the end zone. And all the actions coming at us the whole game. Really cool seats. Good section. Didn't even want to wait in any food line. I wanted to soak it all up. And in the end, of course, the Raiders fall apart and lose. But that's not why I'm bringing it up. I'm bringing it up because it was like Gotham City in there. Within 20 feet of being in the stadium, I saw one guy just shove another guy and the guy screamed in his face, I'm with my family. How ugly is that moment? This guy's with his family trying to take him to a game. By the way, don't. But he's with his family and gets shoved. This guy's trying to start a fight with him. So I'm going shoulder to shoulder to get to my seat just in a sea of buffoonery, tomfoolery, debauchery. Finally get to my seat and I'm like, I don't ever want to even go to the bathroom. I'm just going to kick it till the fourth quarter and I survived had a good time like I said but also had the realization that not everybody in this city's so excited about the Raiders some of it's embarrassing to be connected with that these are grown-ass men grown-ass men wearing the jerseys of other grown-ass men who are good at playing football not to break it down too simply But there's almost a religion aspect to it. There's worship for the Raiders, the mystique of the teams from the 70s and 80s and 90s. And, you know, it brings these people together. But what are we really talking about? And I'm a sports fan, but there was this one moment where they honored Tim Brown on the field. And on their scoreboard, there is Tim Brown waving to the crowd. And then they cut to a fan who's in a Tim Brown jersey. This grown-ass man just so emotional in his jersey. Almost in tears because he loves Tim Brown so much. He loves Tim Brown followed his career. I think there's a huge disconnect between the players on the field and what's going on in the crowd. These guys aren't from Oakland. They're professional athletes. The people in the crowd think the players are so connected. How many of these players really appreciate the individual fans, appreciate the city of Oakland, appreciate any of the history, the mystique? Very few. A lot of these guys are just at work trying to get a first down. There's such a disconnect. The worship of the player and then the actual player on the field who wasn't there to see all the fights and the drunkenness of the tailgate. They're at work. But the fans are convinced that the players, because they play a brutal sport called tackle football, are on the same wavelength. Am I making any sense? I don't know. Took a good amount of day, Quill. So this could be a little loopy today, but let's just ride the wave. Let's ride this out. There's so many fans who are just such colossal pieces of shit. 
There's so many fans who do not enhance the in-game experience. They're just there to start some shit. How about this story in Boston? Celtics fans who are just harassing Kyrie Irving because he left the team. Kyrie Irving, great point guard, left the team to go back home to the Brooklyn Nets. And when the Nets came for a home game, he didn't play and the fans were so betrayed. Oh, they felt like he belonged to Boston. Kyrie Irving, you belong to the Boston fans. And when you come back, we're going to verbally abuse you and call you a coward and all this. But then Kyrie puts up an Instagram post. And I think he summed up my point perfectly. So let me just read this. This is Kyrie Irving, a superstar NBA point guard, addressing all the fans through Instagram who have been so mean to him. You could tell he was hurt. He didn't just want to take it. He wanted to kind of jab back. So the Celtics fans, they've got all these signs up coward. You remember when somebody was a great athlete as a kid, they were highly revered? And then through youth sports, high school, hopefully through college, you know, just really admired. And there's something ugly at the pro level. So Kyrie Irving writes this. And this is kind of long, but I'm going to read the whole thing. Kyrie says, it happens all the time. And tonight just shows how sports and entertainment will always be ignorant and obtrusive. It's one big show that means very little in the real world that most people live in because there are actually things that matter going on within it, like figuring out a life that means more to you than a damn ball going through a hoop or learning how to grow up, being in a fishbowl of a society based on your popularity level as a person or even dealing with becoming the leader of your family after someone's passing and not knowing how to deal with life after it happens. But this game of sports entertainment matters more than somebody's mental health and well-being, right? Or the real-life things that happen to people every day, but they still have to perform for the NBA and its fans, right? It's all about doing it for the fans. And organization that love you so much? Question mark? Think again. It's a game. It's promoted as a fandom experience for ticket buyers and viewers at home while defacing people who truly are people. Then spat out all over these media networks as valuable food for thought while they actually believe that their opinions hold weight to real cultural leaders that speak and act for change. One big gimmick with some smoke and mirrors. I'll always be the one that takes the stand and speaks on the truth every time, though. A purposeful and spiritually led life will always be bigger and more meaningful than any sport arena or any entertainment space. This game, in caps, isn't meant to be controlled and shown as a drama. It's meant to show the love, love for the art. That's the only drama that keeps the purest people in this sport, entertainment circus. So don't fall for the game that's played in front of you as entertainment. It'll never be as serious as dealing with life. There's a lot to analyze there, and some of it is a little weird, but for the most part, I kind of like that a star player comes out and tells the fans, look, you denigrate me, you talk all this trash about my family, my life, my wife, my skills, my livelihood, you know, just why do you think you're able to do this? Is it because you think that I was so connected to the Celtics because they signed my paychecks? Did you ever think I'm allowed to go to the Nets? It's really weird to think about great professional athletes having a miserable experience. I always thought as a kid, that's the greatest life you could ever live. But there's more tell-alls out there. There's more exposure to what their lives are like behind closed doors. And a lot of these athletes are like, you know what? It's not that great. It definitely coincides with the Raider fan that I just saw up close and personal. How they scream at anybody who's in the opposing team's jerseys in the crowd. Or they get violently angry with the opponent that day. 
hey, you play for the other team, this form of tribalism that's leaked into sports, it's kind of gross. I think that's why I don't have much of an allegiance to anything anymore except for San Diego State Athletics because I went there. Big Aztecs fan still, but that actually feels like it's a part of me. I don't really have much of a connection to pro teams anymore. I love watching it, but I realized that over the last few years, I don't really care. And I grew up the most passionate, loyal, faithful, dialed-in sports fan. Loved my Warriors, Giants, Niners. Loved the players. Now I watch it and I just go, business with a good amount of immature people in the crowds taking it so seriously that it affects their moods, their allegiance, their worship of other men. Some weirdness. Who knows where I'll be in 10 years with this oddly cynical, evolving view of sports. I don't know. My view of actors has also evolved, by the way. There's a movie right now called Marriage Story with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. It's getting a lot of hype, Oscar hype on Netflix. And I watched it over two nights, took two nights. Not because of my attention span, but because of my early bedtime, folks. There's actors, and then there's thespians. Now, there's a lot of actors. Turn on your TV to any channel. You'll see acting. Watch a soap opera. You'll see some acting. Watch a sitcom. You'll see some acting. And then there's a different level. And that's how they're describing these performances. Adam Driver, he's just in a different sphere of his career than other actors. Like he's in this DiCaprio echelon and then scarlett johansson oh watch her just take home best actress and i'm watching it and i could almost see through it i could see the script and what they're doing with it i still respect it it's an art form i get it but there's something about the choices they make when they deliver the lines that it's just a little uh, you can see it coming and i've heard people describe this movie i've read the reviews people are going nuts about it i thought it was okay that was like a b minus of a romantic film actually not a romantic film it's all about a divorce but I wasn't blown away. And then I read reviews and they're just like anointing Adam Driver. My God, he is good. Don't get me wrong. Adam Driver is so damn good. From Girls, I wonder if all the cast members on Girls knew that he was in a different league, kind of like DiCaprio when he was on Growing Pains. Did the whole cast just know? Uh, this guy's a little different. Or George Clooney on Golden Girls. Did they all know? Did Sophia, Rose, Dorothy, and Blanche, did they all know that George Clooney Whenever he did those cameos on Golden Girls, were they like, this guy's a little better. A little better than most of the people waltzing through these sitcoms. But back to Adam Driver. His performance was really, really good. But he's still the same guy from Girls, just delivering lines. Versatility's a different thing. See, versatility in a movie, if you see one person, you're like, wow, I can't believe they were the same person from another movie and another movie if they're always, you know evolving and changing. And then some people are just always playing themselves and they still get anointed as great. Like De Niro, isn't he always De Niro in every movie? But we just like that. Bruce Willis, isn't he always just Bruce Willis in every movie? But we like it. And that's Adam Driver. He's always going to be Adam Driver. If it's sci-fi, fantasy, a drama, a horror, a comedy, he's always going to be this guy. But it works. It works real well because he's good at it. There's just one problem with him. I think he's a liar. And I'll explain why. I think he is a liar. He claims that he's never watched himself act. He claims that he has a phobia watching himself act. Actors who say they don't watch their shows or movies, guess what? Yes, you do. You sure do. I know they don't want to sound arrogant. Like on the flip side, if they're like, I love watching my movies. Oh my God. Did you see me in Star Wars? Wasn't that great? I get that. They don't want to come across that way. But all of the actors you've ever heard who say, I, I can't watch myself. 
bullshit. Not just bullshit, but bullshit. Of course you do. You go home and you dissect your performances. So Adam Driver actually walked off of Fresh Air with Terry Gross because she played an audio clip from the movie Marriage Story. He walked out of the interview as if to say, I told you, I warned you, Terry, you bitch. As he slapped her, actually, that hurt my voice. I shouldn't scream, bitch. Oh, let me take a breath. Let me take some time. Hold on. Let me have some tea. I got tea, coffee, and water right now. Periodically trying to sip. Still, it's painful. I should probably cut this short. Actually, there's nothing else to say. Except for I don't believe actors who say they don't watch their stuff. But yeah, Adam Driver did walk off a radio show. I don't think that ever happened to me. I think I upset a few people, but I don't think anybody just slammed their headphones and got up and left. I don't think so. But let me end with this. My journalism class did an all-digital issue, meaning we didn't put out a hard copy because we lost a week for the power outage due to the wildfires. So I told them, you're not print journalists anymore. You're multimedia journalists, which is what you have to be if you actually want to work in journalism. So we have a website. We're going to utilize it. We're going to put up videos. We're going to put up slideshows. We're going to do everything interactive. We're going to use social media. We're going to be a modern journalism class because typically we've been putting out hard copies and it's vintage. It's old school, but the kids like it because it's the only time they probably actually touch a newspaper. But we were forced to utilize the website. We ran out of days. We lost four or five days for the power outage. So we didn't have enough time to use our printing company. So I said, let's just use this website to the best of our ability. Let's become multimedia journalists. And guess what? It's better. It's a better news consuming experience. I told every student, not only do you put up a video, you got to tweet it out, put it on Instagram. Don't be shy. Be proud of your work. And some of them blew me away. It was one of the first moments where I saw students starting to do things where I go, oh, I didn't teach that. They're just techie. Some of the kids in the class, they just know how to put together a video, a professional looking video to accompany their stories. I'm like, wow. They just have the apps and they act like it's no big deal. That's when I feel like the old guy in the room. I go, well, how'd you do that? Like if I saw the local news do it, it wasn't even superior to the quality that some of my students were just doing with ease at NovatoSwarm.org. If you want to check it out, this is all one big promo for www.NovatoSwarm.org. But the quality work, we were only forced into it because we couldn't do a hard copy. But I realized this is what we have to do. The Marin Independent Journal, the Marin IJ actually had a warrior story that said the game was tied in the fourth quarter. For more information, go to marinij.com. Why waste the space to actually print an article where you're telling us the game was tied in the fourth quarter? I'm not making this up. It was about a three inch by four inch corner of the sports section that said Warriors and Knicks tied in the fourth quarter. Have you ever heard of anything more antiquated than that? What sports fan read that article? No, you already knew the score. If you're a fan, you already went online and you probably saw an interview, a video interview, a highlight montage. I can't believe hard copy newspapers are still having sports sections printing incomplete games. What a waste of paper. I honestly think hard copy newspapers are going to be extinct in 30 years. Done. Goodbye. And I've said this before, but I know it for a fact. If you were to poll right now, all high schoolers in the USA and ask them who will be subscribing to a hard copy newspaper in the future, the percentage of hands that would go up, the percentage of kids that would say yes would be 0.0017, okay? That's baseless, but I'm sticking with that figure. 
All right, so once again, happy holidays. Rump-a-pum-pum, bells will be ringing. And latkes and dreidels and no good Hanukkah song is coming to mind right now. Except for Adam Sandler's, but I'm not going to sing it. But Sandler's new movie about a jeweler looks good. And Kevin Garnett is in it. And I like him. And goodbye. I love you. I cherish you. I value you. If you actually listen to this, thank you. That's episode 76. It's in the books. And I'll talk to you soon.